Hey, welcome to the Play, Move, Improve podcast. You're listening to Robin Papworth. I'm a mum of three little ones, an exercise physiologist, developmental educator and early learning speaker. I'll be empowering you to set up engaging play activities to improve children's development, health and learning outcomes. Thank you for listening. Today I'm going to talk about something a little bit different. Today is all about emotional regulation. Emotional regulation is what it sounds like being able to regulate our emotions, not just our emotions of happiness, sadness, frustration, excitement, but also being able to manage our impulses, our unpredictability, our need to quickly react, our arousal levels as well. Why am I chatting about this today? For two reasons. A beautiful follower of mine on Facebook wanted to know more about emotional regulation and I wanted to share that I've also done years of research in this area because of my own issues with emotional regulation. With emotional regulation, it starts from a really, really young age. And if you haven't had strong attachment or strong connection with your family at that age, then it can hinder your emotional regulation. So I share with you today emotional regulation from a scientific point of view, but I also want to share with it, share with you from a personal point of view. I am from a background of childhood trauma. I'm from a background of very poor attachment to my caregivers, to most of my family have had poor attachment. So my brain, I know, is different to a lot of my friends, a lot of my family, even my own family, my husband and my kids. I feel sometimes their brain development, even my 10-year-old's brain development, is more advanced in this area than mine at times. So Emotional regulation isn't just a skill that you get at a particular age. It's not a milestone that you reach when you're six months old or 24 months old. Emotional regulation is a skill of the brain that is constantly learning. And what I've found comfort in, in the many years of research that I've done, is that movement and play can help with that. Of course, I still have a long way to go. It's not like I all of a sudden get into my 30s and, and I'm, I'm ready now and my brain is fully developed, unfortunately, for children like myself who've had a poor start to life, a poor start to a really strong emotional foundation, then we will often be playing catch up. And I feel I still am playing catch up, but the good news is we can at least do something about it. So to start with, I just wanted to share with you the stages of emotional development. There's three stages. Now, when I mention the ages of this, as I mentioned before, If there's been trauma, now trauma doesn't always have to be in the home. It doesn't have to be poor attachment, domestic violence. Trauma can be things like a child has had to have a a kidney transplant. I've worked with a child similar um, behaviours to myself who had a kidney transplant in one of those formative emotional regulation stages. It could be a child had a house fire and there was instability in the home. It could be the loss of a loved one. So when we look at trauma or something happening in these early stages of emotional development, it could be a wide range of things. The thing, it's not really about what happened, what's happening. It's more what does the child need now? Where is the child at in their stage of development and how can we help them? So when I talk about these stages, please, I have to tell you roughly what age this happens, but please know for some of us this has not been the case so stage one happens between the ages of a baby being one to six months at the age of one to six months we know babies are very emotionally underdeveloped for example they cry they smile they show excitement they're bored 
they're frustrated when they're not attended to. So if you don't give them instant eye contact, you'll get a little bit of a grizzle or they'll cry because they're hungry. They'll smile because you smile. It's very sort of cause and effect, instant need. Um, even when they laugh, it's to get instant reaction from you. It's beautiful, but it's very underdeveloped. You'll often see babies up to six months old, They'll, when they get frustrated, they turn their head away. It's not like when they're six months old, they can throw a toy your way or stomp their foot. But how a baby shows their frustration is they'll often turn their head away from you, avoid eye contact. This stage of development is where I feel a lot of us have missed. So myself in particular, to develop this stage of emotional development, we have to copy emotions from our caregivers. So our caregiver smiles, we smile. There's beautiful neurons in our brain called mirror neurons that we copy what's happening in our environment. So children from strong attachment would smile at their mother or father or grandparent and that person would smile back. So they go, oh, that was a really nice engagement. I'm going to do that more. Similar to they might, the family member would babble at them or make sounds, so the baby would do it back. They would laugh, the mum or the dad or the parent or the caregiver would laugh back. And it's this reciprocal emotional development that I believe needs to happen to lay stage one. Because if we don't have stage one, it's going to be very hard to get to stage two. Stage two is between the ages of six and 12 months. That's when we start to see that defiance, which for me as a parent of three kids, I don't like this phase, but knowing that it's a really important phase for our little ones to go through. They also start to be shy. So I think sometimes I hear families often talk to me about, oh, I'm so sorry, they're turning away from you or they're too shy for you to pick them up. This is actually a fantastic sign. It's a really good sign that a child has strong attachment with their family, a strong attachment with their caregivers, if they are too shy to go to a stranger. We don't want children having that confidence to go to anyone. It's what I remember growing up is I would often have myself in very vulnerable positions because I would try and seek emotional connection with strangers. With We'd go to a party and there'd be aunties and uncles that I haven't seen for ages and you'd often see me nearly too connected with strangers because I wasn't getting that emotional connection, that copying of emotions at home. So it's very important that when we look at what's happening between 6 to 12 months, this shyness or this reservation to go to a stranger, please know that research-wise it's sometimes considered quite a, it's, it's, it's a strong um, signal that the child is developing emotionally. We also see this defiance, not as manipulation. You know, I often get, oh, my child's manipulating me. Well, of course, children try to do that. I've got 10-year-olds, they definitely try to do that. At this age still, stage two, they are just trying to find themselves. They're, They're starting to develop a little personality. They're starting to seek out comfort from you. So when I get frustrated or I start to you know, grunt and growl and show defiance, I'm wanting that comfort. I'm wanting you to retaliate with comfort and with um, concern for me and with support for me. That's how they're getting that emotional relationship with you. Similar to when they'll rub their eyes and you'll start to see their tired signs, they'll put their arms up towards you like, comfort me, please comfort me. This is a wonderful sign of emotional development where they're starting to gesture and show you that I need your comfort, I need your laughter, I need your smiling, because we're starting to become more involved in your emotions. 
Of course, in this stage, we see real extremes in their emotions. So real giggly laughter and then real you know, fear, frustration, anger. It's just that limbic system part of the brain trying to work out where we are at emotionally. What happens when I have fear? How does my caregiver respond? What happens when I'm angry? How does my caregiver help me to co-regulate, help me to settle down? It's these relationships that we have with those around us where we can start to realize how we emotionally develop to the next stage, which is stage three. Now, again, if you've come from complex trauma, poor attachment, I even myself still, I don't know what my emotions are going to do because I haven't had in those early stages someone consistently showing me that, you know, when you feel frustrated, they comfort you or when you feel sad, they come to your aid. If you haven't had that, then out we get what's called mixed attachment or mixed emotions. We don't know where we're feeling these emotions. We don't know what we do with them. We're just a bubbling <laughs> mess, really. So it's very important when in that first stage, you know, six to 12 months especially, if our little ones are getting frustrated, we, we talk about it. Oh, I can see that you're frustrated. I can see that you're sad. Your eyes are teary. Your hands are tight. We, of course, a six to 12 month old isn't going to have the language skills to come back and talk to us and have a conversation with us about it. But they'll start to see that we can see that they're feeling these feelings and these feelings are okay. And we're providing that comfort because when it comes to stage three, the 12 to 24 months, so the one year to two year mark, they get even more complex emotions. For example, when I'm 12, six to 12 months of age, I typically get anger, sadness, happiness. But 12 to 24 months, I start to feel these feelings like jealousy and shame when I make a mistake. And it's a, it's a growth that's showing us that our limbic system is starting to develop more and it's starting to learn a more a wide range of emotions. But we've really got to be there to support our children through those different emotions. So, for example, they might giggle and smile at their own little tricks. You know, often see them dropping food off a high chair to go, oh, what's the emotional response going to be to that? They'll also start to show more emotion towards other children. So they'll try and make other children laugh or smile. They may also make other children get frustrated to see what that emotional cause and effect reaction is going to be. You'll also, of course, start to see that they'll become more frustrated and angry when they don't get what they want. That's that brain going, hang on a second, my motivation and my reward system of my brain isn't getting what it wants. I'm starting to feel disappointed about that. I'm starting to feel frustrated with that. You can also see that when they've made a mistake, they might feel frustrated or shame. And again, we want to support them through that. I can see that you're frustrated, you lost the game. I understand that it's hard when our tower falls over. This is the language that I'm really passionate about sharing with kids these days because I wish that someone shared that with me. I wish that even today, even to this day, when I get frustrated, I still ask you know my husband or my, my friends to say little things like, I can see that you're sad. I can hear that you're frustrated because all a child wants is that comfort and that feeling of visibility and that someone gets it and that someone hears them. Sometimes we don't feel like we have to articulate that to our kids because we feel like, well, they should just know that I'm here for them and they should just know that I love them and that I'm proud of them. 
but hearing it is such a powerful thing. So please, if you have little ones that are getting frustrated, throwing their toys on the floor, just try and start your sentence with I can see or I can hear and describe what you see, describe what you hear. Easier said than done when we're frustrated, when our emotions are at bubbling point and I completely get that, three kids at home. Of course, I understand that, but try in some of those moments when we can, when we're calm enough to label it. I can see that you're frustrated. I can hear that you're upset. I understand this is disappointing and it just makes them feel visible. Of course, we've had really tricky a few years, the last few years with COVID, social isolation. So we are seeing a lot of our emotions have been stunted's not the word, but in a live podcast, finding it hard to find the right word, but our emotions have been put on, put the brakes on it, or, or they've been escalated beyond what's typically expected for our kids, for us as well. So I am seeing emotional regulation become more um, of a challenge in my work this year in, in 2022. And what my goal here is for families just to recheck in on how they're managing their emotions, on how they're feeling about their emotions. It was a big wake up call to me when I got into this training of emotional regulation and I started to go, oh, I'm fine. I've just got a couple of little things. I get you know, frustrated and angry more than most people and I'll just work on that. And then you start to learn, oh, hang on, there's other emotions. There's, there's disappointment. There's sadness. There's, there's jealousy. There's shame. And I didn't know about these emotions. I suppose I kept them so pushed down that I didn't even know I had them. I didn't know what they were. So... We would sometimes be sitting in that in these recent times when we've been isolated from our family and friends, when we've lost businesses, when we've lost work. So just know that when we listen about emotional regulation, we're humans too. We have emotions too. So sometimes we keep ourselves in check. Sometimes you might need to tell your spouse or your parent or your family member that when I start to rant, can you please just say, I hear you, I see you. And we're just starting to all come together now and emotionally support each other. So the three stages you can sort of see advance each time. A little young baby, one to six months of age, is just cry and get fed, get frustrated, look away, very simple emotions. In the stage two, just before 12 months of age, we start to try and be cheeky and smile and laugh and we get defiant and stomp our foot and get frustrated or we start to clench our fists and, or clench our mouth when we don't want to eat something. All those sorts of behaviours start to come. And then in that up to two years of age, we start to feel those complex, I'm jealous of my baby sibling or I'm jealous that your attention is on the dishes and not me or I want to have happiness with my friends so I'll giggle at them and play tricks on them. It becomes more advanced and that's the most beautiful part of emotional regulation. What I have learned over time and how we can use play in these positions is when we are playing with it might be a toy truck it might be a dinosaur it might be a doll it's always important that we talk about how we manage situations and when I'm doing it with a doll and not myself I can see the doll's perspective easier than coming back and seeing my own perspective so when I often talk to children and the situation might be that I'm frustrated because my little brother keeps knocking over my tower I set that situation up sometimes and I would set the tower up and then Dolly would knock over the tower or I would knock over the tower and what I want to talk to children about is what happened like what happened just then and they'll go oh Dolly knocked over my tower 
and I often will say, oh, how can we change what happened to make it either less pleasant or more pleasant? You know, how can we make this better? How can we make you and Dolly either less frustrated or happy, whichever emotion you want to work on? And I'll go, oh, well, I know how I can modify this situation. I know how I can fix this situation. Next time we're going to ask Dolly to stop or next time, because Dolly's only little and Dolly's still learning, next time we're going to build the tower on the table. What we're trying to do is we're not saying to the child that you can't be frustrated because your sibling knocked over the tower. We're trying to teach them this trick of modifying. Though. There's a process called modifying where we change what we want the situation to be like. How can we take control or take power over this situation and feel like we have something that we can contribute so it doesn't happen next time or that it happens less frequently? We also want to look at what can I put my attention more towards. So that's this next stage. You know, so I've modified the environment. I've made the tower come up onto the table. But then, oh, my goodness, Dolly climbed up onto the table and now Dolly wants to knock the tower over again, for example. Well, where can I put my attention? Do I want to keep focusing on how frustrated I am at my sibling or how frustrated I am at my doll? Or do I want to shift my attention and just work on, well, what else can I think about? What else can I do? And it's giving these children this shift in attention. And having pre-teens at the moment, my twins are 10, it's even looking at their relationships. You know, my friend wanted to play down ball and I didn't want to play down ball. Okay, well, how can we make this so it's more pleasant for everyone? How can we adapt or modify the situation and where would you like to put your attention would you like to spend all playtime worrying about you don't want to play down ball your friend does or do you want to shift your attention to something else oh actually I might like to go play basketball with a different friend or I might like to invite my friend who's playing down ball to play one game of down ball and then we're both going to shift our attention to then go and play on the playground it's giving them that ownership over their emotions so it's not saying you can't feel frustrated it's not saying you can't feel upset about something but how can we shift our attention? How can we change our change the situation to support all of us? And that's when the coping skills start to come in. That's when we start to be able to learn to regulate. But I think one real quick way that we stunt this idea of helping our children to fix the situation or to modify the situation is we can sometimes shut down the emotion of it too quickly. And or we can sometimes we feel uncomfortable. So we quickly do what helps us to regulate. I'll give you an example. I didn't have a great time in school coming from a very dysfunctional family, very dysfunctional home. I didn't relate to the kids at school, just couldn't because while my the kids at school were stressing about what brand pencil case they had or the brand shoes that they wore. I was dealing with you know alcoholism, substance abuse. I, I had so many other things to deal with, emotional things on my plate. So I had to really learn pretty quick of how do I deal with this situation. My children started school and I started to hear my children start to say, I don't want this lunchbox. My friend has this pencil case. I want these shoes like my friend. And that triggered me because it sent me back to when, oh my goodness, these kids just suck about things that aren't relevant. But in their mind, it's relevant. In their world, it's a big problem. So I had to modify, how can I make this more pleasant? How can I make it so we are not at you know, locked heads of you know what's a big issue, what's a little issue, and how am I gonna stop my triggers from coming? So a few things I had to do, I had to modify the situation. Okay, great, you tell me, I've got a budget, here's your budget, $20, you tell me which, which for $20 you're gonna have. I'm not 
my modification was I'm not going to give you everything that you want. You're not going to get a $100 pair of shoes if that's not necessary, but here's a negotiation. So I modified the situation to make it more pleasant for me. I then started to pick what I wanted to pay attention to. Did I want to continue this cycle of my life is challenging, I can't take on your problems, or did I want to be there for my children? So I would pay attention to what they were saying to me in that moment. I had to turn my attention off my own triggers, so my brain's firing these triggers. How could they be so you know, petty about a pencil case? I had to turn that off and I had to shift my attention to what are they showing me in their body? What are they saying to me? And when I say to my kids, I can see that you're frustrated, I can hear that that's disappointing for you, my attention shifts to them. My thoughts are going, what do they need right now? What are their emotions right now? Now, do not get this correct every time I do it. I can promise you, I can assure you, because there is a cheeky part of the brain called the amygdala. That is the fight or flight part of the brain. And for me to be able to be in the moment with my children when they are emotionally dysregulated, to be able to regulate with my children, I can assure you that I cannot do that when my fight or flight and my amygdala is firing. But what I try and do is in the pockets of when I'm not stressed, when I'm calm, when I'm not in fight or flight, I practice these strategies. In the moments when my amygdala is firing and fight or flight's firing, then I have to be really careful of and actually try and say nothing as much as I can. Again, not great at it all the time. But it's in these moments of when we can practice these skills when we're calm is what I just want to encourage you to do and to know that I could quickly shut my children down because I feel uncomfortable by their discomfort. You know, I'm bothered that they're feeling uncomfortable. I want to fix it. So I could quickly either go and buy that $100 pencil case or I could quickly shut it down and go, don't worry about it. You don't need to have those emotions because that quickly shuts it down and then I feel comfortable again. But it's not teaching the children how to regulate. How, we, how can we modify this situation to make it best for everyone? How can we shift our attention so we're not so obsessed about the pencil case, but what is the underlying concern here? How can we fix and change our thoughts and change, and change the situation? Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> um, what I found in emotional regulation is most of us are women in this early childhood or parenting role. And most of us wants to fix things really quick. We want to shut things down. We want to fix things quick. Or we do quite the opposite. We talk too much. We talk and say what we think our children are feeling rather than just come back a step and watch how are they reacting. What is their body doing? I can see that your hands are clenched right now. I can see that you're frustrated, that your friends have something that you don't have. I can hear that you're disappointed. Go back to the basics if you can. Right back. Let's not worry about all the details yet let's just have our children feel heard feel seen and then we can turn both of our brains out of fight or flight we can start to be in there with more of what we call the right hemisphere where we want to you know have them I can see that you're frustrated I can feel that you're upset if we go too quick into shutting emotion down or we go too quick into what we call left hemisphere so the left hemisphere wants to solve everything what happened why are you feeling like that how do we fix it it's the logical part then we're not going to address the emotional part. That's the right-hand side. I can see, I can hear, I can feel. Another thing that I'd just love for you to think about is having strategies for when they feel frustrated. So I have a printout if you need it. Um, come, it's on my website. If you can't find it, come find me on Facebook, Play Move Improve. There's a handout that says, when I feel frustrated, I can. 
And what I want children to know is they have a handout, it's on the fridge, ours is on the fridge, and it says, when I feel frustrated, I can. I have all different strategies depending on the child. So some younger children, I'll go, when I feel frustrated, I can. And there's a picture of a child blowing bubbles. There's a picture of a child tearing paper. There's a picture of them blowing a pinwheel in the air. Washing dishes is what I do. When I feel frustrated, I can. It sounds bizarre, but washing dishes settles my sensory system instantly. Some other things you might like is to do finger breathing where you just hold your hand out flat. You take your pointer finger and you run it up and down each finger. And as you go up your finger, you breathe in. As you go down your finger, you breathe out. Again, if you need more support on this, just reach out to me. I have resources for you. Another thing that I often do is a positive mantra. So mantra being a saying. I used to have it on the on my window. Now it's just in my head. And my saying for myself is, you are enough, you are enough, you are enough. It depends on where your emotional triggers are coming from. From mine, it's coming from I'm not good enough. That's the whole attachment issue that a lot of us have. But in my mind, I just keep saying, you are enough, you are enough. And it's in my mind. No one else knows I'm doing it. But it just keeps my amygdala in check, keeps my fight or flight down. And it keeps me regulated as much as possible. Another strategy that I do, and it's often why I don't wear socks and shoes, is I feel grounded through the floor. So I will be standing. uh, Bathroom works best for me because the tiles are really cold. Cold temperature is fantastic for your nervous system. So I often will stand in the bathroom barefoot and I will just in that moment feel grounded through the floor. I'll feel every single toe on the ground. I'll feel the pressure of the ground through my arches. I'll feel the pressure of the ground through my heels. And what I'm trying to do there, what my goal is, is just to connect back to the basics, come back to the ground, come back to the, to the floor. Rather than get all caught up in my head and caught up in my thoughts and my triggers, I just, when I feel frustrated, I can feel grounded through the floor. What I have a picture in my mind is just bare feet on tiles. So it doesn't need to be any pretty picture. It's not a pretty handout that we need to create. It's just really basic. When I feel frustrated, I can with some of these little strategies. I also provide myself and I've provided other children from trauma before with an escape plan. I had a young client who he was from Afghanistan, family of four. He was the youngest exposed to war in Afghanistan at a real vulnerable age in this early age of six months of age. He came to Australia and to school with a lot of fear, huge amounts of fear. He thought that if he made a mistake, his world would implode and he genuinely would react in such ways of protecting himself. He'd throw chairs, he'd throw tables. And what I needed for him to know was when he made a mistake on paper and he, and you know, you rub it, he tried to rub it out and the the eraser left these horrible marks on the page. It still didn't look perfect. When he made a mistake, I gave him an escape plan. And his escape plan was he was able to leave the room before throwing chairs and tables, leave the room and go and tear paper. And we had a big box full of magazines and scrap paper that he could just tear, 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 tear. And the reason behind that is when we have an escape plan or we have, a, we have an, uh, an option of what we do with our body or what we do when we're dysregulated, it makes us feel like we have control over what's happening to us. And what we found in the research and, and what we've done with him and, and even myself, I always have an escape plan wherever I go. And it's just being able to know that if things escalate, if my body starts to feel stressed or fear or worried, 
this is what I will do. So an escape plan for children from trauma could be you can move to this place away from your table or away from where you feel stuck at mat time and you have ideally they don't even need a break card to start with because if you think about when our emotions really escalate we don't have time to go and find a visual card that says break to give to my teacher when my emotions are escalating I don't have time to put my hand up and tell the teacher I'm not feeling well or that I need to go to the toilet there's no time for that so it's sometimes escape plan is everyone on board knows that there's an escape plan. Everyone knows where that child is going to go, whether that be a safe, calm tent in the room, whether that be a fort that you make out of chairs and a sheet and they hide under the fort, whether for this child it was just, just outside his room in the foyer to tear paper. An escape plan's a really powerful thing, especially if you've come from feelings of not feeling safe, not feeling, um, feeling really fearful in your environment. Another one that I often use with children is a countdown timer. So when I feel frustrated, I'm going to have my timer. And that five-minute timer just gives you, again, power, control, predictability of when this activity or when this is going to stop. For us, when, well, I can't really say for me, but for typical people, your body can get through uncomfortable situations and self-regulate itself out of uncomfortable situations so if you know that you've got to sit in assembly for an hour or you've got to sit at an appointment in a doctor's office for 20 minutes you can self-regulate yourself to know that at some point this will end at some point my time will come up I'll have my appointment it will end at some point assembly will end but if you're in a trauma-based world We don't know when things are going to end because there's such uncertainty in our worlds. We have unpredictability from one month of age. You know, when I'm a one-month-old baby, I smile at my caregiver. Sometimes I smile, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I cry and I get comfort. Sometimes I cry and I get nothing. We haven't got that certainty. We don't have that, that this will be finished and this will pass. So putting a timer in front where we go, in five minutes, this will be finished. It just settles that amygdala and just helps them to emotionally regulate and go, it's okay, in five minutes it'll be done, it'll be finished. Making sure that when you say something's going to be finished, it will be finished is really important. And we're just teaching the brain that there is certainty. We can create certainty for the brain and we can calm that fear and that um, nervousness as much as we can. I just want to leave you with one strategy that I just love to leave you with. And I really appreciate this is a longer episode than usual, so I appreciate you being here. If you can, I just want you to get a piece of Play-Doh and do this with your family. And I just want a piece of Play-Doh, any color, doesn't matter, any size, doesn't matter. But I just want, while you're holding this piece of Play-Doh, have a word such as calm or happy or joy, a positive word. And while you're playing with this piece of Play-Doh, I just want you to think about what it looks and feels like. Now, for arty people, they might actually make something out of their Play-Doh of what calm feels like, looks like. For others, um, myself, I've done this activity in an um, American workshop before where I just liked fiddling with it. I just liked to have it in my hands, rolling it around my hands, thinking about what calm to me looks like, feels like. It's a really amazing grounding, centering activity. And it's wonderful because sometimes you'll see that some kids will have no idea what calm, joy, happiness looks, feels like. And it's that real teachable moment of what does yours feel like? What does it look like? One thing that even the Play-Doh you can chat to them about is what colour is calm. Sometimes we think, you know, calm is blue. Well, for other children, calm might be pink, calm might be yellow. And giving it a colour, giving it a feeling, it then gets them to attach to their emotions. 
often you'll find that a lot of us from trauma is we disconnect ourselves from our emotions. It's, it's for self-protection. So I didn't know I had these emotions until I was in my 20s and 30s. And so it's connecting back to it. Oh, what does calm feel like? You know, when I'm frustrated, what does that feel like? When I'm an, a disappointed, what does that look like? What does that feel like? And just something Play-Doh, something sensory. It's just a little strategy that you can try today. So I really appreciate you allowing me to chat about something completely non-motor skill related. Um, I really appreciate you listening to my story. I um, have never shared my story much. Um, It's something that I'm still working through, um, but I feel like my story has helped me to support other children who are like me. And there's thousands of us, millions of us all around the world. So if you have found this helpful, if you too are from a situation like mine and you just want someone to listen, someone who gets it, uh, feel free to reach out. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Play Move Improve. And I hope that some of these emotional regulation strategies help you with your family. So take care, good luck and enjoy the next episode. Bye for now. You have been listening to Robin Papworth, exercise physiologist, developmental educator, speaker, author, mum of three from Play, Move, Improve. If you have enjoyed our content, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify or on our website, playmoveimprove.com.au. Have a great day.